You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 404 of the podcast Developer Not Found. The new true crime show where a developer is re-requested to review a pull request, but they are never heard from again. Kidding. I'm Brittany Martin, co-host of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I wasn't kidding, but I'm your other co-host, Gemma Isroff. Brittany, I believe congratulations are in order for a huge number of things. First off, you ran a marathon on Sunday. Second off, you were promoted to be an engineering manager recently. And third, you were on the RailsConf program committee. There's yes. so much I want to discuss there. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's start with the marathon because... Let's be honest, we were recording this on Wednesday, so only four days after the marathon, and I am still pretty beat up, but I'm still on that high of coming through and getting it done. As listeners know, this is also a running podcast now. (laughs) And I want to thank all the listeners and everyone out there on Twitter who applauded me and like really pushed me and held me accountable for getting this done. That was really helpful and just really kind of everyone. So thank you out there. I got so lucky. So I went down to Clearwater, Florida because I was looking for a relatively flat course. I wanted warmish weather. I mean, you're talking to someone who lives on the East Coast who when I departed down to Florida, it was 10 degrees in Pittsburgh. And when I landed in Tampa, it was roughly 50 degrees, which honestly felt quite balmy to me. So when I showed up on Sunday for the full marathon, I'm rocking a tank top and shorts. I'm ready to go. There are people there from Florida who are wearing wool tights. It really made me laugh because like that is like the ideal running weather. So I just truly must be cold blooded. But I came in at four hours and 18 minutes and five seconds, which was really exciting because my goal time was four hours and 30 minutes. And I would say a big thing that really helped me out is, you know, I've been telling everyone I've been following that 26.2 Peloton program and that really got me ready. And I also found like a really great pace group. So that was super helpful. I didn't expect pacers to be there. And they really encouraged me through that. The marathon ended up being two big loops around Clearwater. And while it was relatively flat, there were some hills on the bridges. You don't know how steep a bridge is until you actually run up one. I will say probably the biggest mental challenge is I'm so used to running half marathons. And so... You do that first loop and there's always that fork in the road where it it points to the one side and says half marathon, you're going to finish here and then full marathon, you know, keep on going. And I think you can agree with me, Gemma, that moment where you're like, yep, I'm only halfway time to keep going. It's a real mental challenge, but I'm really glad that I got it done. I actually have a friend who one time had intended to do a full and bailed out at the half and all the race directors were like, no, no, based on his bib to go the other way. And he was like, I am not doing another lap, which was very funny. But yeah, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Did the run itself meet your expectations? It really did. The scenery was fantastic. That was the number one piece of advice that people gave me that I really took to heart. They kept telling me, don't care what happens, just finish it. But make sure when you're running, you actually take some time to like look around and and take it in. Totally. Yeah. I hope you're incredibly proud of yourself. That really, it's a big thing to do. 
I am. And now I feel like I'm being called on my bluff because you and I talked about once you do it once, you're going to want to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, how, are you, how are you feeling? When's the second one? Yeah, I you know, it, it was such a commitment in order to commit to a full marathon because it reduced down a lot of my cross training. Yes, I am a CrossFitter as well. And so I had to cut back on that. I think halves are probably my sweet spot. There is a Amish half marathon in September happening in Pennsylvania and where you run against the Amish and they run in their work boots and they smoke you. So that just sounds really appealing to me. (laughs) So I'll probably sign up for that. Maybe eventually I'll do another full, but I'm just proud that, you know, I can be that obnoxious person who's going to get the 26.2 sticker and slap (laughs) that on the car. Yeah. So slap that proudly on my car. But, you know, as you were talking about at the top of the episode, I went down to visit my boyfriend's dad. And so his stepmom turned to me because I told her that I was getting promoted when I was coming back. And she's like, wow, this is a big week for you. (laughs) I'm like, I guess so. Tell me about the promotion and promotion process at Textus and what happened. Yeah. So as the team is getting bigger and bigger, we tended to do annual performance reviews. And so I started in August of 2020. I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, switched their jobs during the pandemic. But we decided with how many team members we now have, we really need to get performance reviews on an actual schedule. And so the entire company went under performance review in January, which it's funny as someone who's an engineering lead and I now have 11 people reporting to me. It's really fun to work on performance reviews of the people that work for you. And so I was hyper focused on that. And I wasn't so hyper focused on my own performance review, but I knew I needed to get it done. And so I currently report directly to the CEO, but eventually we're currently hiring a CTO, which I'm eager to have in place. We talked out my performance review, talked about the things that we can work on. And so everything seemed to be fine. And so I was like, okay, just stay the course. I was so heads down around the marathon. But then I was in a meeting and my CEO messaged me and he was like, by the way, when you come back, you will be promoted to engineering manager. And I was like, oh, okay." (laughs) It was like very surprising. And so I think the first question is, does my life at Texas change? Not one bit. All of my reports stay the same. My responsibilities are the same. And a friend really put it well. When you get a promotion, it shouldn't be a surprise. And in some ways, you should already be doing the job that you're getting promoted into. Now, you don't want to be in that spot for too long. You want to be titled correctly and whatnot. But it feels good because I have been watching over the team for a couple of years now, and it feels good to be recognized for that. And I think you and I have talked about this, Gemma, like there's been a fork in the road. Do I want to go technical contributor or do I really want to lean into the management part? And I've really had that epiphany in 2021 that management is for me. And so it just feels good to be really going down that path. What was your title before now becoming an engineering manager? Yeah, I was hired at backend lead. So I was only supposed to be mentoring and helping the backend developers. But three months into being at Texas, our front end lead departed. So I took over the front end team as well. And so I kind of changed my title to engineering lead. But really, in theory, I was only supposed to be helping with the back end. And you implied something earlier that I want to dig into more because I think performance reviews can be really interesting and different across companies. So you had a self-review part and the person you report to reviews you part or was that how it worked? 
So we had a spreadsheet template where the employee themselves evaluates themselves on the things that they did in the last year. And then we also have, you know, an array of core values at Textus. And so you needed mm-hmm. to score yourself on those core values as well. I'm happy to share that one thing that I got dinged on was customer centric. I thought that I was really good about listening to our customers, but my CEO really pushed me there. He's like, you pretty much only listen to the people who are filing bugs, the people that complain, the people that are considered like names within (laughs) the company. You don't have a ton of empathy for the regular user, the person who's logging into the mobile app, the person who is texting on the UI all the time. And so he raised a really good point. And so I've put together a plan in order to make sure that I do become more customer centric. And it's something, too, that I could take that lesson down to my developers as well. Our marketing team recently did a survey of all of our customers saying, like, what's your favorite feature? What feature do you wish we would improve upon? And they posted those survey results publicly to the whole company. And so I asked every single developer on my team, did you actually take the time to read these results? Because if you didn't, then you really need to reserve that time because the software that you write truly matters. And so I'm not asking you to go out there and dig for information about our customers, but if it's served to you on a silver platter like that, definitely read it. This episode is brought to you by Hook Relay. So you want to add webhooks to your app, and after having worked with the webhooks that Stripe provides, you want yours to be as great as theirs. Well, that's as easy as sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL, right? We all know that it's not that simple. In other words, there's so much more than just post a JSON payload to get webhooks that your customers will love. The good news is, Hook Relay has done all the hard work for you. If you are debugging a production issue or tracking down a specific webhook request, they provide you with all the details about your webhook interactions. It removes all the stress around failing and retrying services. It also lets you add a background job so you don't hold up your web requests, and you avoid extra costs for a background worker if you're deploying to Heroku. I'm honestly so excited that they make it painless to resend a webhook. If you are as intrigued as me, check out hookrelay.dev and get started today. That's an interesting point because it's a common thing, not only in customers, but also in developers or in education more generally where the folks who are really struggling or the folks who are really outperforming are the ones who often have the loudest voices and the kind of middle of the road average customer doesn't often get a voice in the room or especially get a voice in a product room or an engineering room. And I think that's an interesting thing to push on that we can sometimes fall prey to only listening to the customers who are either super negative or super positive for whatever reason and not just the ones who are day to day having an experience with whatever we're building. I totally agree. And it used to be a thing at Texas where like our product management team would like fly out and visit customers and sit at their computer and watch them interact with the product. But, you know, the pandemic kind of stole that from us. And it's not quite the same doing that over Zoom. I mean, you can learn a lot, but, you know, that in-person interaction and getting to have empathy for those customers, it's a tough thing to nail for sure. Yeah, Shopify actually, as part of onboarding, had a whole support empathy few days where we would shadow folks on the support team and see what actual customers were talking to the support team about, which was pretty interesting. Was there anything surprising during that? I think I had not realized quite how deep the love of Shopify was from the customers until doing that. And you would get all these emails like, I love everything about, is there any way you could do this one extra thing? And I think... 
when I've filed support emails or things like that. Usually there's not that like I love everything paragraph if I'm at the point where I'm writing a support email. So that made me really happy to hear. That's such a good point. I'm really obsessed with that aspect, Gemma, almost to a detriment sometimes. I love it when customers will send in a support ticket and be like, I love everything. If you could just do this one thing Mm -hmm. and if it's small and shippable, I mean, this is part of my campaign on everybody should have junior developers on staff because it allows us to ship so many little things like that in a quick cadence. I love doing that stuff. I think actually chunking out the big meaty feature work is the hard part. But I just absolutely love nailing the really tiny feature requests because it's that whole like surprise and delight aspect. Yeah, I don't often do things that are so product focused, but I totally agree that it is the surprise and delight. And you feel like you can see the customer email or customer call that you very clearly fulfilled, which can be really rewarding too, of like, you know, there's someone you're bringing specific value to. I will say I've had a couple of times where I've done a surprise and delight and, you know, that customer is so thrilled, Gemma, and then 10 customers are upset with me. So you have to walk a fine line for sure. Yeah. So you're privy to so much interesting technical discussion at Shopify. So can you tell me what's the latest on Wyjet? Oh, yeah. Wyjet. I don't know if you... You saw this news. Wyjet is being ported over to be rewritten in Rust, which is quite interesting. It represents a departure. So MRI Ruby or C Ruby, C Ruby, because it's almost all written in C. But the Wyjet team put in a proposal to do this port for a number of reasons and it was approved. So they're working on it, which is really quite exciting. So was it considered production ready? Is this like a version two? What was it originally written in? Give me the idea of like how this decision was made. Yeah, it was originally written in C. The YJ team, I think, has done such a phenomenal job of getting adoption and getting buy into what they were working on. And C was really the obvious choice because I think if they had originally written it in Rust, it would have been kind of a two layer proposal of we have this new JIT. And also it represents a departure, whereas this two-step process, I think, has helped with buy-in because the first step was, we have this new JIT, it's great, that got approved. And the second step was, hey, Rust has classes and methods and better type checking and you can separate code into modules and it would help improve the safety and robustness and all these things. Can we port it over to Rust? And that also got approved. I often hear folks talk about wanting to contribute to Ruby specifically. And I think actually porting Wyjet over to Rust will give a really good opportunity for folks to do that. I think Rust's community is so vibrant and there are so many people who are interested in picking it up or already picking it up that it'll give just another avenue for listeners or anyone else to contribute to that project, which will be great in a way that's like much more checkable and safe and modularized and all of those positive things. Do you have any experience with Rust yourself? I do not. There have been lots of jokes about being rusty. I have no Rust experience, but I've worked a bit in the past with OCaml, which has some similar premises. So hopefully that would be useful. For sure. Now, how would you go about learning Rust? I know that we've talked about that in the past, but do you think that this is going to affect you enough that you need to pick up Rust as a language? Yeah, I'm excited to get into it a bit, if nothing else, so I can understand PRs going by and things like that. Someone on my team shared a really good resource of Rust for C programmers that we can definitely link in show notes. 
I hope there are similar Rust for Ruby programmers type resources or things like that. But really the way I learn best is experientially. So probably just start diving in and, and see what I can learn. So is Shopify sweet spot now hiring Ruby developers, C developers, and now Rust developers? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I Their sweet spot is definitely Ruby developers. Just because Ruby has to be written in something else, I guess, that a lot of us know C. And yeah, the Rust, I don't know if maybe Shopify will end up hiring Rust-specific people, but it is interesting to get a little more into that ecosystem because it's so vibrant and see what's happening in that community too. Yeah, I don't even know how big that community is and if it's easy to hire from. I feel like Rust is still very niche, but I hear of so many stories about folks converting things into Rust that I really do think it's here to stay for sure. But I am still not sure if it's a difficult thing to hire for. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very uninvolved on the hiring side. It's interesting. So many members of my team are really eager to contribute to languages that I think as folks are beginning to pick up Rust and learn it, it seems like there are a lot of people making PRs to Rust the language or making PRs to improve documentation or asking questions that I could definitely see a path where folks get even more involved with the Rust community as well. I agree. Well, you know, I keep saying that this is a running podcast. And at this point, Gemma, we still have not met in person, but I'm really crossing my fingers that you and I get to do the RailsConf 5K in Portland in May. Are you planning on being there? I am planning on being there. RailsConf 5K also to host another crossover episode would be incredible. Absolutely. I would consider that done. We're definitely going to do another panel. I think the RubyConf one was really successful, even though I wasn't present. But I mean, that episode got such great feedback. I'm glad to hear we definitely missed you. And yeah, Brittany, tell me about the experience of being on the program committee and what that means. Yeah, happy to share. So I touched a little bit about this a couple episodes ago, but since then, we've done a lot of things on the programming committee since. The CFP is now open. What we started off with is we're working in a project where you submit possible tracks. So each programming committee member is able to submit as many tracks as they want with the pitch that they're looking for. And so typically for RailsConf, you take all those pitches and tracks, you comment on each other's, and then we essentially vote and decide on the tracks that are going to be available for the CFPs to be matched to. But in this case, we had a lot of great submissions. And so we decided to publish them all. And so the reason that we did that is because we almost want it to be a community vote based on the CFPs that are being submitted. So even if, you know, one of the tracks only gets two or three CFPs and it doesn't really justify being a full time track at RailsConf, I could see those talks being then rolled over into the general track if they're good and they seem like they would have content that would be relevant to the audience. But I am so eager to review CFPs. I'm really glad it is a blind process. I'm trying to encourage all of my teammates to apply to RailsConf for sure. But CFP just opened on Monday and I can already see that people are starting to submit. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. 
Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Yeah, just as an aside, have we ever spelled out what CFP means on this podcast? The acronym? You know, I don't know if we have. So do you want to explain it, Gemma? Oh, yeah, I'm happy to. CFP stands for Call for Proposals. So conferences will put out CFPs asking for proposals for talks ahead of the conference. And if you're interested in giving a talk, as I hope many folks listening are, you can write a CFP. You can pick a track like Brittany just referenced, or you can go in a general track if there's no kind of broad category that applies to what you might want to give a talk about. Yeah. And one important note about RailsConf as well is Ruby Central has decided to break up RailsConf into two components. So in-person RailsConf is going to be May 17th through the 19th in Portland. And then there's going to be a new virtual event on June 15th through the 16th. And to me, that's like almost the opportunity to have double RailsConf. So one thing that I truly believe, if you're going to do something, you need to do it really well. And it usually does not bode well for you to try to split your focus. So I give a lot of credit to the RubyConf 2021 organizers for trying to run a virtual experience at the same time as the real-time experience. But I think this is going to work out well where you can really focus on the in-person experience and then really focus on the virtual experience. Yeah, I must say, I am also so excited about that. At RubyConf in the fall, we tried to, as WNB, the women non-binary Ruby community, we tried to also have some virtual events during RubyConf and some in-person events. And that split was really difficult to manage. So I'm much more excited to be able to focus on being in person and then focus on being remote. Brittany, which of the tracks are you excited for? So Emily proposed this track, and I think it is so needed in this day and age. And that is Rails and business logic. I -hmm. think it is people hold their opinions so strongly on this one. And so I think it's going to make for some really great content. And I think this is going to be one of those situations where RailsConf tends to be the more enterprisey conference. This is the one where employers are sending people to the conference and saying, we need you to justify this cost of going. You need to come home and really bring some ideas about how we can improve our code base. And I really think that one in particular is going to really be interesting about discussing the patterns and anti-patterns of where you should be storing that kind of logic. What do you think? For sure. I hope that track gets a lot of folks from smaller or more mid-sized companies too, because I think that can be where it's really interesting how people are interacting with Rails and how their specific products or, or business, how they use Rails. I agree. I want to hear stories of people who spun up a Rails project, got a year into it, really justified that there's a business there and then had to sit there and really think about where they should be storing their business logic and what refactorings that took. Completely. And yeah, I hope, like you said, people can really learn from each other on that track. Another track that Emily proposed that I just love because I am a lover of Reddit is explain it like I'm five. I love the idea behind that. (laughs) If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. But the sentiment really rings true. The best way to demonstrate the understanding of a hard topic is to explain it in the most simple way. 
And I think this is really the track that I want to see junior and mid-level developers applying to because they are in the best position to explain those kinds of concepts. I saw that track and I couldn't decide whether I thought you submitted it or Emily submitted it. So that's funny that it was Emily. Yeah, I think I might put a proposal into that track. We'll see. Please do. You are so good at explaining things. I mean, you are the person that made garbage collection accessible to way more Ruby developers. So I really think that's your sweet spot, Gemma, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm hoping. I'm hoping definitely to send in a CFP in that track. Now, would you do a partner talk again or do you think you're going solo this time around? Well, I saw the inclusivity on Rails option and I was like, oh, I'm so excited. Emily Gerleo is also on the program committee, but I also would have loved to give a talk with her in that track. And so I said, maybe next year we'll do one together. I think this time I'm going to submit solo talks. Okay, awesome. And just, you know, the disclosure The process is blind, so I don't know what talk is Gemma's or not. We will not discuss this outside of the podcast. (laughs) I also think community content is a really interesting track that potentially could even have some workshops in there. Who do you think submitted that one? I think that was most definitely you. (laughs) It sure is. The pitch that I wrote here is on the heels of Ruby is still a diamond, boring rails, super bombinas and women on rails. The content in the community is getting more creative and more varied. And the goal of this track is to learn from the content creators themselves. And you're totally right, Gemma. This is my vision for it, is that the track would actually start with talks and help the audience find the thing that they're comfortable, you know, communicating via. And then I actually want to end the track in workshops. And I want to send people home with the beginnings of the content that they're now going to create. I'm really passionate that it's so important that we create content in the Ruby community for the Ruby community. But the only way that we're going to continue to grow is if we create content for the Ruby community that is appreciated by all technical communities. A good example is the podcast where we had your brother on to talk about product management. I've gotten so much good feedback about that episode because it had nothing to do with Ruby. But it was the entrance point for some people to start listening to the show who realized that they don't necessarily need to write Ruby to appreciate the podcast, but it's kind of dropped that seed in their head. Like maybe Ruby is still. Yeah, I definitely will share that feedback with him. I'm sure he'll be flattered. And also, I totally agree with you. I think also content is only good if there's a a diverse and broad group of folks creating content, right? To your earlier point about mastering mid-level sometimes you need or explain it like I'm five sometimes you need folks who are newer to content to be able to teach it effectively and I think we often fall prey to the voices we'll hear are the like tried and true I've done this a million times this is the best way to do it which can be great for some people's learning but also not great for others and I think as we get more and more people creating content there are more and more opportunities to find someone who creates content that really resonates with you. The other track that I wanted to highlight, this one I propose as well, is I really love storytelling at RailsConf. There's something about it where I really love that beginning, middle, end. I love that lessons learned. I, you know, I love the thrilling, you know, climax. And so I propose the track Make a Switch. And so this is the track for ambitious speakers who made a drastic switch and the lessons that they learned along the way. And so my various examples is leaving React for Hotwire, refocusing from logging to telemetry, insourcing what you outsourced. 
And so I'm just hoping that we get some really interesting talks. And I agree with you, Gemma. I'm looking for those small to medium companies too. But I'm also looking for those really large companies where, you know, you're really gambling on making a large switch the bigger you get. So I'm really hoping to see some interesting talks there where people are really pushing the boundaries of what you can do in Rails. Yeah, I'm super interested. One of the philosophies at Shopify is committing to technologies, picking Ruby or picking Rails and sticking with it through thick and thin because of this premise that otherwise, if things are changing, you could just jump around all over the place and keep changing with whatever new tech comes up. And so I'm curious also how that intersection will play in the make a switch track. I totally agree. So listeners, I hope we have inspired you to submit your CFPs. At the point of this recording, you have 26 days left to submit your proposal. So if you are in WNB.RB, Gemma, do you want to explain the support that is being offered there? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was going to plug this, but you just teed me up perfectly. If you identify as women or non-binary and are not yet in WNB.RB, we'll add a link to join in the show notes. If you're already there, we have a CFP working group where we work with each other to review proposals, read proposals, look at ideas, and really try make sure that our proposals are as strong and clear as they can possibly be. Just full disclosure, Brittany and Emily, who are both on the program committee are not in that working group, are not seeing anything that's happening there. It's only folks who are submitting proposals. But I've definitely in the past gotten feedback that I really valued from that. And it's just a fun and motivated group of people. So come on in. We would love to have you. I love that so much. So as we wrap up, Gemma, you know, I'm going to hold you to your resolution. Have you been stretching? Oh, thanks for asking. I have been stretching and my legs are feeling awesome. I don't know if I went into this last time. My younger cousin is a dancer. And so she's very flexible and very serious about stretching. And I made her record a video of all these stretches that I go through all the time. It has a few jokes in it. It's a good time. I almost have it memorized by now, I think. I love that so much that you have your own personal fitness platform now. (laughs) It's run by a 15-year-old. It's awesome. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Well, Gemma, it is always so good to catch up with you. You'll be back on soon and we'll have to coax Emily on as well. Have a great day and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. Good talking to you. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.